0: Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Love you guys. Slap somebody a high five, tell them you love them. And tell them you're glad they came to Bible study. We won't tell the Sunday crowd, but this is the real Christians right here on Bible Study. Don't y'all tell them that. I said that on Sunday now. These are the faithful. (laughs) <laughs> oh, man, how many of you love the Word of God? Man, I love it. I've I've been studying it now for about 15 years, and I still keep bumping into things. And, uh, man, it's just amazing. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't, man, get into the Word of God, start reading it. Um, man, I started with just an old... KJV, big old thick one, big, big one, and I didn't know, uh, well, I better not use that phrase, I didn't know a whole lot, (laughs) and uh, I just started reading, and then the more I read it, the more the fog lifted, the more the haze lifted, and the more I understood, and so if you'll just immerse yourself in it, the Spirit will give you understanding, and then you got a community of people like this that you can ask and bounce things off of. And, but I just encourage you to, to start reading the Bible. And uh, I think you'll find some treasure in there for yourself. Um, but my life's never been the same. Um, okay, we're going to be looking at Psalm 91. And this psalm is a very unique psalm. This psalm is dealing with the presence of God, and there's there's all kinds of illusions in this psalm. And so it it, it talks about what it's like to be under the shadow of the Almighty. So the idea is is that you're under the covering of God. You're, You're inside. You're so close to the Lord that His shadow is stretching out over you. What is it like to to live in God's house? Okay. And so the idea here is is that Moses wrote this psalm. And one of the Jewish speculations is, is that he wrote this psalm on the day the tabernacle was completed. Because when the children of Israel come out of Egyptian bondage... They weren't just set free to be free. They were set free to worship the one true God. And I think that's something to notice is that God just doesn't set you free so that you can be free. He sets you free to worship him. Like that's what you were created for. You were created really to be a temple of worship. That's Paul's main argument in Corinthians is why we shouldn't sin. It's that... It's not because you shouldn't sin because God is like really a killjoy and he doesn't like to have fun. It's that you were made for something so great. Why would you settle for sin when you were made to be the sacred place where God would meet with you and you would be the place where God would want to be above all else? It's not that God is, like, lowering the bar. It's like he's, like, saying, why are you settling for sin when, like, I've got all this presence for you. And I've got all this mission for you. And I've got all this purpose for you. And so when the children of Israel comes out, God takes them into the middle of the wilderness. And as they're going out, the Egyptians are blessing them and giving them all this gold and all this stuff. And wouldn't you know it, God would bless you and then put you in the desert where you couldn't spend anything. All right, But then in chapter 25, verse 8, he tells them why he blessed them, why he brought them there, and why they're there in the wilderness. And he said, here's why. Build me a house. Because I'm going to start living among you, and I'm going to show the other nations what it's like when God lives among a people and puts his name on them. So when the tabernacle was completed, the place where God's going to live... The place where the presence of God would... The meeting place for God. Moses writes this psalm in Psalm 91. And this is what came over him when he stepped into the presence of God. Okay? Now this is what psalm... Now I'm going to read this. I hope I'm not going to... um, I just love how it's written in, in the message translation. So you can look at your translation, but this one's going to be in the message. So let's look at Psalm 91, what it's like to be under God's shadow or in God's tent. Psalm 91, verse 1. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right, he rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon, even though others succumb all around and drop like flies right and left. No harm will even graze you. You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God is your very refuge. The high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Let's Get this. Their job is to keep you from falling. <laughs> oh, man. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. And I'll give you the best of care. If only you get to know and trust me. Call me and I'll answer. Be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you. Then throw you a party. Oh man, come on. (laughs) I'll yell at the people I rescue. What's wrong with you? And God throws them a party. It's like. I'll give you a long life and give you a long drink of salvation. Dude, I want to be in dad's house. I don't know about y'all, but like, like that's where I want to be. So it starts off with this, like this shadow of the almighty and it's this, this picture that's representative of, of God's presence throughout all Scripture. But uh, in Genesis 1, it says the Spirit of God is hovering over these chaotic waters. And we talked a little bit about that Sunday. And the picture there, the word picture is a bird that would be hovering over its nest, um, brooding over it to make sure the potential of the eggs in that nest come to fruition and come to life. Like, that's the picture here. And then Jesus says some, some really cool things, too. Because remember when Jesus... He's trying to tell Jerusalem to repent and and come to him, and then he makes this statement that how I wanted to bring you in as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you just won't listen, you won't let me pull you in under the shadow, Um, and, and they just won't listen, like this is... This is what God's heart is, is to bring you under the shadow, not because he's so insecure that he needs you to make him feel better about himself, but he's so good he knows that only under the place of that shadow can these kind of things take place, where he can protect you, where he can keep you, where he can give you that long drink of salvation, where he can watch over you and he can bring you out of trouble and out of danger and out of snares. How... How many of you know that when you're serving God and when you're following him, um, those sins of the flesh that used to kind of trip you up, um, when you're following the Lord, those things you're kind of protected from, right? It it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some stuff, but... How many of you know if you could put your life in God's presence and serving Him with all heart, and then you could put your life where you weren't serving Him, which one did you feel safer in? Which one were you more fulfilled in? which one did you, that brought you the most joy i mean it's obvious when you've been in god's presence and been under the shadow and so the idea of the places that would house his presence would mean that's where all this stuff goes down so to be under the shadow is to be the place where god is and so at the time when moses wrote that the shadow was this tabernacle it was this tent made of animal skins, and, and they would go in, and, and, and Moses would meet with God there, and he would, he would get direction for his life, he would get direction for the people of God, he would ask God and consult with him there, and, and all this awesome exchange happened within this tent, and every time that they were in this position to, to be receiving from God and be in this kind of shadow, it was like their enemies couldn't beat them. Like, nobody could touch them. Nobody starved. nobody. It was like when when we were under God's covering, things have a way of working out. (laughs) But when we get outside of that shadow and get outside of that covering that is God, I mean, you're vulnerable to anything. I remember, like... Uh, When my mom was trying to talk me into coming back to church, and I was in my rebellious spell, dude, I thought the roof was going to fall in on me. And some of you ain't ever felt that, because you don't know how bad you was. I was acquainted with how bad I was. And I thought, man, the ceiling's going to fall in on me. And so I made a bargain with my mom and she got me to go on a Sunday night. And when I grew up, Sunday night was two things. A sermon on hell or Jesus was coming back any second and you ain't gonna make it. <laughs> they'd, turn the, they'd, they'd get it so hot in there you'd be sweating and the preacher would be teaching about hell and like, He'd tell the maintenance guy, don't turn the air on tonight. (laughs) And I thought, oh, here we go. Man, I got in there in that seat. And wouldn't you know it, the Lord moved on my pastor's heart. And he preached, the Lord is a strong tower. And if you run into it, you're going to be safe. I thought, man, I felt like the roof was going to come in on me. And little did I know I was coming into a tower that was going to protect me. And uh, that's what God wants to do. But you know what I know? What I know about God and what I love about him? He won't twist your arm. He'll influence you. He'll influence those with the spirit around you. But he won't make you do nothing. So his plea here is this is how good it is when you get under the shadow and he's he's saying come in here because out there there's death out there there's danger out there there's all this stuff but if you'll just come into this tent if you'll come into this place with me if you'll move past what you think you know and what you think is right and what you think about everything and if you'll put that aside and you'll just get in my presence I'll sort everything else out I'll right every wrong I'll address this that and the other if You'll just get in my presence. It's like, so then the question becomes, how do we get inside this tent? (laughs) Because I'm ready to get in there. Uh, How do we get in the shadow of the Almighty? How do we get in the tent? And y'all remember this kind of growing up. Did, did anybody ever make the, the quilt fort? I mean, you had to get all the furniture around and chairs. Did you ever do that with your buddies? And I mean, it was like a grandma's flimsy quilt, but you felt like nobody could see you. Nothing could harm you. It was your fort was your fort. And there was something about getting in there and just doing normal stuff that was just special. Man, hooked the VHS up and the TV and built a fort. Watched the old movies you saw a hundred times and you were like, man, Teenage Ninja Turtle's never been so good. <laughs> and the only thing that was different was that you were under the shadow of the fort. You're in a secret place. You just felt like you could be more you in there. And this is the genius of God is that when we get in his shadow, we actually find the truest parts of ourselves. I mean, I grabbed at everything, trying to be everything and everybody and trying to find some kind of happiness. And then I get in with God and it's like he starts giving me purpose, starts guiding my life, starts showing me. And I'm like, oh. That's who I was. You don't even know who you are. You didn't create yourself. Newsflash. You're created, man. So how in the world are you going to find out who you are? Well, Colossians says that your life is hidden in God with Christ. So there's only one way to find your life. In God with Christ. And so... So this is the secret place, the place where you could be yourself. And, then, and Jesus always talks about this, right? He says, man, don't go and pray in public like those other guys do that try to show off, right? Get on a street corner and start acting like they're, you know what I'm saying, right? Y'all been to those deals? I used to go to those and think, man, I got to impress people. And I'd write down my prayers and make them impressive. And I'd act like I was praying, but I was really reading. Oh, Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. The people looking for attention pray like that. Uh, go in the secret place and let's just talk. Let's talk to one another because I want to hear what's on your heart and I got some things on mine for you too. He's like praying way to where it doesn't really matter who else is around. Why don't you just pray from the secret place, from the truest part of yourself and that's what I think you know what I think praying in in tongues is about I think it's about praying from the truest part of yourself praying from secret place the place to where you don't even know what to pray or have the words and the spirit groans for you (laughs) From the truest part of yourself That you've not met yet (laughs) You haven't met the truest part of yourself But the Bible gives us a clue That when we see him We'll be like him So maybe We'll see So how do we get into this tent I want to get in there I want to kick my feet up I want to be able to look out the window, see the arrows flying around. I I want to be able to kick my feet up and have that long, tall drink of salvation on ice. (laughs) And how do we get in there? So then I start snooping around and found another portion of Scripture. And... I'm thinking there's a parallel here. So I'm being vulnerable with you guys. I don't know if this is like what's going on, but I think it's what's going on. Okay? Um, so we're going to explore something together. Okay? And I think I'm onto something. Okay? So let's go there together. Okay, we're going to look at two passages, Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15. Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15. Um, In Exodus 21, there is this, there's just this weird portion of scripture that talks about how to bring a slave into freedom. Okay? Now, when we say slavery, our minds go to you know, Civil War American chattel slavery. And that wasn't what was going on here. These were what would be what we would call like an indentured servant. Somebody was in debt, couldn't take care of themselves, would say, hey, this person's got resources, can I work for you? Yes, you can work for me. And then through that process, there was a process of where they could get taken care of and then have the option to be returned free after they were able to get back on their feet. So this was a a different kind of thing than what we know of the evil that happened in America in the 1800s. So this is a different kind of thing, okay? And here's how the Lord says to handle a Hebrew slave, okay? Check this out. When you buy a Hebrew slave... He shall serve six years and in the seventh go out free for nothing. So now remember, where did Israel come out of? Egypt, right? And what were they in Egypt? Slaves in bondage. So God begins to get really passionate about the human. Humanity has a proclivity to lord over other humans. In different forms and fashions, okay? So God says, You know what that's like. Don't become what you dislike. And how many of you know we can become what we dislike? Yeah, yeah. So He's like, Your identity's different. You're not like the other nations. So there's gonna be this process to where you're not gonna own people. You're not going to dominate or control them. They're going to have a pathway to get what they need to get on their feet. And then they're going to have this, this freeing thing that they're going to be able to go. And guess what? You're not going to be able to hold on to them. You're to let them go for nothing. Now, watch what happens here. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. So, so really, whatever he comes in with, he gets to leave with. Okay? If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife shall, and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. Now get this. But if the slave plainly says, watch this, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. So after the seven years, he has the choice If he loves the environment, if he loves what he's in, he can then attach himself to the place that he's been in for the last six years. Now, check this out. But if the slave plane says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go up free. Verse 6. Then his master shall bring him to God. And shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So I want you to see if you can see this. We have a tent, (laughs) we have a door, we have wood, we have nails, and we have a slave. (laughs) Uh, something's going on here (laughs) it's getting fishy okay so why piercing why a door and why near so this piercing process for the slave was for the reason of love that they wished to serve their master voluntarily they'd be taken to this door frame And then something was used to put a hole or pierce their ear through the skin of the earlobe, making a permanent fleshly scar that would declare ownership for the rest of their life. So we begin to see something about this pierced slave to a doorpost. As a way of being attached to the master's tent for the rest of their life. So immediately, when I begin to think about the tabernacle, when I begin to think about God's house, what is the door to God's house? What's the way in? Right? Jesus said in John 10, I am the? Well, that's 14. But in 10, he says, I'm the door. So what's the door to God's house? Jesus. So, so follow this with me. Jesus yeah. takes the form of a slave, is pierced, to a cross and becomes the door to God's tent. Right. That people saw the cross as a judgment and God says, "Oh no, no, no. This is going to be a door." That's right. <laughs> Don't misjudge what God's doing in your life because it can look like a cross, but a cross is a door. A cross is a door, it's the way in, it's how we get in. So we have Jesus humbling himself, and he takes the son, takes the place of slaves so that slaves can become sons. that God says, you know what? I'll take the place of the slave and I'll be pinned to that doorpost so that all my family can be in the master's house and experience what it is like to be under the shadow of the almighty. How does Psalm 91 become universal? <clears throat> Through Jesus. So it's like, you remember, you remember that game, what's behind door number one? Is that Price is Right? Is that still going, by the way? Who's the host now? Still? There was a guy before that, though is he still going he did he didn't make the trip hopefully he pulled on the right door anyway sorry Um, so imagine there's all these doors what door are you pulling on turning on Because I don't care how fancy the knob looks or how fancy the trim, if it ain't Jesus, yeah. death's on the other side of that door. That yeah. there's one door that leads to the secret place, the shadow of the Almighty, the God of the mountain. El Shaddai. <laughs> and that's Jesus. And so, now I want to show you this, this passage of Scripture, and, and to me, this really brought it home for me that I think I'm on to something. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. Aren't you ready? Verse 6. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Watch this. Verse 7 but emptied himself by taking the form of a... I think that's the sealer right there. By looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the Son of God dies the death on the cross. The death on the cross, if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't even be crucified. It was considered so cruel that you could not be crucified on the cross if you were a Roman citizen. That was reserved for two kind of people. People that were rebelling against Rome or for slaves. (laughs) Jesus would take the form of a slave. Say, you can pierce me to the doorpost, Father. And all that would believe in me, would bow a knee to me, they can experience what it is to know what I've experienced to be under the shadow of the Almighty and to be under the presence of God. Verse 9, and as a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So he goes from the slave being humbled to being exalted to the name that's above every name. (laughs) So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then there becomes this other kind of reality. Is that the people that put their faith in Jesus begin to come into the shadow of the Almighty and begin to experience those benefits. But then something else happens to those people. As you're in Father's house, you start to take on Father's character. And you're not content to be in there by yourself. So Philippians 2 says, Let this mind that was in Christ be in you, which is what? Who didn't consider himself to even be equal with God, but took on the form of a slave so that others could get in. You just don't have presence just so you can enjoy it. It's that you would take on the Father's heart and then you would say, okay, Father, I want to bear the marks of Jesus too. And would you pin me to the door so that I'll put myself last so that others could get in through my testimony. some of us are enjoying dad's house but don't forget the mission of Jesus needs to bleed into you and before you know it you're sitting in dad's house and you're like where's everybody else where's the other ones where's the ones that need to come in what do we gotta do I gotta get busy God what do you want me to do then all of a sudden you have just went from a recipient to a one that has taken on the heart of the father and is on mission with Jesus and in that moment you become more like Jesus not less like that's the transition that's got to happen. we got people that love presents, but people that don't love to rescue other people and become slaves for them. And Paul says this, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. And he even says this, I bear the marks of Christ. Somebody look up where it's at. I want to I read it. I just don't remember where it's at. I bear the marks of Christ on my body. Paul said Now the Catholics get weird and talk about stigmata And all kinds of weird stuff You know what I think he's saying I've put my ear to the door like Jesus (laughs) And said God I only want to hear what you're going to tell me And I'm going to be on mission for you And so I'll humble myself And take on the form like Jesus did Like a slave Because I want to be on mission and get other people In this house with you Somebody read that Read it out loud for me Mike says I bear them on my marks and the word in the Greek is stigmata or stigma and it means a puncture or a wound like I don't think he was so close to God that like wounds started just like showing up I think he's saying I've got the mission (laughs) and I've realized where the real sweet spot is it's not inside the tent it's at the doorpost. To be pegged with Jesus so that others might get in. And when you start living like that, whew, man, that's the shadow of the Most High. Because instead of being a recipient, you're now casting a shadow with it. <laughs> so. I think that's the transition. That's the second transition. To come in and be saved and taste the good things of God. But then to have that other transition of go, no, other people's got to get in on this. (laughs) I can't be the only one here. And I'm worried that the church, if we're not careful... We're going to turn into a cruise ship instead of a battleship and have a bunch of gluttons and bibbers, and not enough soldiers and warriors. <laughs> and he's worth it. He's worth it. There's a story of Uh, there's a people, it's it's called the Thousand Year Prayer Meeting, these Moravians led by this name of, uh, a guy by the name of Count Zinzendorf were experiencing persecution, so he was a count and had a large kind of territory, and he began to minister to these uh, people and started kind of creating this group of just radicals for Jesus, and so they decided that they were going to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week and divide it up so that there would never be a moment to where there wasn't a prayer going up. And they did that for 100 years straight. <laughs> and how many of you know if you're praying for 100 years, you can run out of stuff to pray? So they started praying for the nations. So as they would pray for a nation, God would actually put them on that nation on their heart And they would then go to that nation to be a witness and a light to that nation. And so these two young men in their 20s had, were started praying for this island in the West Indies that was a sugar cane plantation. And they wanted to minister to the slave population that was there. And so they're trying to get in and they said, no, we don't want you to come in here. We don't want these slaves to get any kind of mindset of being free. We, not going to have it. Can't come here. But God so put it on their heart that they, they just knew God was in it. And so these two men in their early 20s sell themselves into slavery wow. to minister to that population, Jesus. And as they're going into port and about to go into, headed to the island, their family's wishing them off and they're waving at them. And they're all crying and weeping. And the men shout back across from the the boat as it's pulling away. And they say, is not the Lamb of God worthy of the reward of his suffering? (laughs) He's worthy of the reward of his suffering. So as we're enjoying the presence of God and as we're enjoying that, I pray that you'd take the next step, which is the heart of the Father, that would say, God, in what way can I join Jesus on his mission and peg my ear to the doorpost so that others could get It's interesting how Paul addresses himself in every letter. Do you know how he, who, how he introduces himself? Paul, a slave of God. Greek word, doulos, bondservant. Paul, the one who's been pegged to the fence post. <laughs> So that you could get in. We need more people with pierced ears in the church. (laughs) Oh man! (laughs) Oh hey, look at man, you're really thin down here, man. Dagum, let's go. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Spiritual concept there, guys. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then you start looking in the, in the themes all in there, right? Where Paul says, All I want to know is the power of his resurrection. And I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And then it says, The fellowship of his sufferings. That the apostles, you know what the apostles celebrated? The apostles celebrated when they were persecuted. (laughs) And you know why they celebrated when they were persecuted? They said, oh my gosh, we looked enough like Jesus. They mistook him for us and us for him. Like they only wanted to look like him. And what would your life look like if you only wanted to look like him? think you'd have some holes and some wounds, but redemptive ones, ones that count in eternity. So anyway, he's a good God and he loves you so much, but man, when you get a hold of this good God, man. You'll start putting yourself from that high place and you'll start serving in the low place. Because then you realize, oh, that's what it is to be in the shadow of the Almighty. It's to help him cast the shadow. And he's worth it. He's worth it. Yeah. And you can serve like that with a smile on your face. It's not drudgery. (laughs) It's a great joy. It's a great joy. It's a great joy. Let's pray. (sighs) Lord, we put our ear to the (laughs) doorpost tonight. God, we're sons and daughters, but we willingly say we'll take the place of a slave. Because we're so secure in our sonship, in our daughterhood, that we can be thought of as slaves and look foolish because we know whose we really are. God, by faith, in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we say we want to be your servant forever. So we surrender to you and your purposes, and God, will do the hard things so that your name's exalted in the earth. Because we are the temple of God. (laughs) We are a gateway. Lord, we need your presence. So, Lord, we repent of our selfishness, of our self-centeredness. We say, God, we're on mission for you. Stir us again. Stir us again. Stir us again to be radical for you. God, we've rolled our burdens onto you, but God, we want you to trust us enough that you can roll your burdens onto us. And what grieves your heart, let it grieve our heart. Love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for your kindness and your patience and your long suffering. But conform us into the image of your son, because that's all that matters. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.